Hello, hello. All right. Good morning. Um, I'm thankful for the opportunity again. Um, thank you, Brother Jay, if you're watching. Uh, I just want to say, uh, if you're a first-time visitor or if you're watching online, uh, my name is Corey. I am not the pastor. Um, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, I'm just a guy. Um, but, but while pastor's away, uh, getting some refreshment, he, he asked me to, to speak to you all this morning. So I'm excited to do, do that. A little nervous right now. Hopefully my nerves calm down in a little bit here, though. But um, uh, as, as Cody said, I'm going to share with you something the Lord gave me about a month ago. Uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're coming on Wednesday nights, we have prayer meeting right now. And we've, we've started a habit of having a little devotion before every prayer meeting. And Brother Jay asked me to do a devotion one night. And, man, I didn't know, I didn't know what in the world I was going to do it on. Where I was reading the Bible at the time wasn't about prayer. But God gave me a passage of Scripture that... Uh, included prayer and, and many other things. And um, this passage is short, but it really is where we live today. So hopefully it'll be a blessing to you today. So, but before we jump into this passage, um, which is Second Chronicles 30, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, I just want to give you a quick history lesson because it's always good to know where you're starting at uh, in, the, in the history of things in the Bible before you, you preach a passage, I think. And so we'll just do a really, really, really quick let history lesson. So you have Abraham. God calls out Abraham. He promises him that he's going to make of him a great nation of people. God does that, of course. Abraham has children. You know, you've heard Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Out of Jacob come the 12 patriarchs who go on to grow into the great nation of Israel. Um, You know, God took Israel. He delivered them uh, out of the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. He brought them into the promised land. Um, You know, he gave them a history. A history of judges. Uh, you, you know, the Bible over and over says during that time, uh, every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and they wouldn't listen to the judges. So God gave them a king because they desired a king, even though God wanted to be their king. And, uh, and as, if you read through Chronicles and Kings, you see that you have a succession of some men who were good and some men who were bad, um, and most of them being bad. But we're going to talk about one today um, in particular who was a very good one. We're going to talk about Hezekiah. And so I just want you to know that Hezekiah was a real person. Um, and this is what God says about him. 2 Kings 18. I'll just read it to you. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Verse 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Verse 6. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. So I just want you to know, historically, we have a, a true, a real person who was a king in, in Israel, in Judah. Um, uh, doctrinally, he, he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, and we won't really get much into that uh, during the millennium, because he's a king of Judah, reigning from Jerusalem. He sets the nation in order. He gets rid of all the idol worship. Uh, but today, what we're going to focus on is uh, the practical, because as Jay says, and as I've heard a million preachers over the years say, if it ain't practical, it ain't preaching. So, uh, let's get into our main text. We're going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to pray. So, let's, let's read verses 1 through, one through 3, and then verse 5. Verse 1, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel with his princes and the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time, because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, 
Neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. Verse 5, so they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this morning. God, thank you for the praise and the worship and the songs we sing. And God, how true they are. Lord, you're always the same. There has never been anyone like you. There will never be anyone like you. Um, God, we're needy people. And I just come to you this morning, God. Lord, I know you have a word for your people. And I just pray, Lord, that you move me out of the way. You speak to your people, Lord. Uh, Lord, change hearts and lives. God, give us exactly what we need, Lord. Lord, slow me down, Lord. Take away my, my stumbling lips, God. Please convey what you want your people to hear this morning. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you see, the very first thing that transpires is you have a king. And a king sends out a request. And you have a blank there. That's your first, your first blank, the request. And what is this request? Verse 1, it says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. So come to the house of the Lord. And that's your next blank. So you have the king of Israel making a request by a letter concerning the people of Israel. And it was twofold. First, they were to come. But they were not to just come to any old place. They were to come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. So it was specific. It was a request to come to a certain place at a certain time to meet and commune with the Lord. You know, God chose early on the nation of Israel that Jerusalem would be the center of the center of all things. Um, you know, in, in 2 Chronicles 6, 6, it says, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. And over and over throughout scripture, you see Jerusalem being the center of many things. And as a side note, although we, you know, we're now living in a different dispensation, the age of grace, and God does use us, the church, to do his work and to propagate his word, just know there is a day coming soon where God will reestablish Jerusalem as the center of the center of all things. So we just wanted to say that as a side for those who think, you know, we've somehow replaced the nation of Israel. We have not. Uh, now, again, this request was made by a letter uh, from a king to the people. And who did it go out to? It went out to everyone. And you say, how do I know it went out to everyone? Well, because it says, verse 1, he sent to all Israel and Judah and also to Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, verse 5 says that a decree was established to make a proclamation throughout all Israel that they should come. You see, every able-bodied Jew who was present in that area was requested. Really, they were expected to come. And the way I know this is because the Bible says in verse 1, again, he sent it to all Israel and Judah, all Ephraim and Manasseh. And uh, as you hear Jay joke all the time, you know, how do I know all means all? Because God spelled it as all. Um, so God has shown throughout Scripture that when it comes to mankind that he is interested in all. You know, 1 Timothy 2.4 says, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. You know, John 3.16 says, you know, that the Lord died for the sin of the world. Um, God's very much interested in our relationships. He's interested in every single person. In Hebrews 10.25, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, Israel at this time had a king 
who requested by a letter that everyone come to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem. Now, we don't live in the Middle East. You know, we're, we're here in Huntsville, Alabama. But I want you to know that you and I also have a king who's told us by a letter that we need to come congregate together at the house of the Lord. You know, and that verse it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And it's interesting, you know, on Sunday, um, that's the time where a lot of people forsake the Lord. Uh, it's only when we, we run into a mess a lot of times we want to reach out to him. And it says, as the manner of some is. So some of us are coming to the house of the Lord. Some of us are not. And he tells us we need to do it more as we see the day approaching. You know, when Jesus was on this earth, he was the light of the world. He said it, I'm the light of the world. And biblically, where we are now, we're in the night. And Paul told us, you know, Romans 3.12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off, therefore, the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. And you know what? That day is approaching. Um, You and I are at the end of the end of times. I absolutely believe that. If you don't believe it, just turn on the news. Things are not getting better. They're only getting worse. And the day is at hand. And in Hebrews, it says that we should assemble ourselves together. And we don't want to be as the manner of some is. He wants us all to be here. So this includes you and your family. Um, I know a lot of times we think all means, hey, you know, maybe just me. But that means mom. That means dad. That means son, daughter, dog, cat. <laughs> just making sure you're awake. The Lord is interested in our relationships, and he's interested in us having community together. And so the second thing I want you to see is that he called for unity. And that's your, second, your next blank. And how do I know this again? Because in verse 1, he, he wanted Israel and Judah, Ephraim and Manasseh. In verse 5, he said Beersheba to Dan. And in verse 11, you see the tribes of Zebulun, Asher. And again, he wants them all to come and unite at Jerusalem. You know, the one thing God wants most out of his body, not the only thing, but one of the biggest things, and I think Brother Cody, uh, he touched on this last week when when he preached on the Lord's Supper, is unity. And that's a real problem we have today. You know, uh, we can't get done when we get done here, and churches all over can't get done what they need to get done when we're not united, we're not together. There's power when we're together in numbers. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So what's our principle here? You know, God desires corporate worship and fellowship with his people. Now, we know there's nothing particularly special or hallowed about these, these walls we're in. And if you're on the clean team, you know that's really true. But, again, our king has told us by a letter that we need to come and meet together. He wants that community he wants that unity. If you're a believer in Christ, God has provided a specific place, a specific time via local church all around the city where you and I can congregate together in unity to worship the Lord with other believers. And really, this is where the rubber meets the road, uh, but this is where a lot of believers, for whatever reason, struggle. You know, I know God didn't set 7905 Logan Drive as the place where he would set his name specifically, but Matthew 820 says, 1820 says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. 
And so why do so many of us struggle with this, just coming out to the house of the Lord? That's the simple thing. Um, you know, I understand if, you know, if you're bedridden or if there's, you know, we all have things that happen in life. Life happens. But if you're able-bodied and the Lord's blessed you to be able-bodied, you should be here. And if you can't be here, you need to be somewhere because the king has commanded it. All right. Now let's see the next thing, the next leg of the request by the king. The second leg of the request was keep the Passover. Make sure I keep a look on our time here. So Israel was to keep the Passover. And what is this thing of the Passover? What's its significance? You know, uh, we live in heart of the Bible Belt. You hear a lot of different things. There's a lot of religious activity here in Huntsville, Alabama, and the South in general. Um, you may have heard of the Passover. Maybe you don't understand what the Passover is. So again, let me give you a quick historical um, trip down memory lane on the Passover. But if you would, please turn to Exodus 12, because this is the first place the Passover is mentioned. And so as you know, you may have heard before, the nation of Israel grew a mighty people. There was a famine in their land where they were in the land of Canaan, and they ended up in the land of Egypt. Uh, while they were in the land of Egypt at first, the Pharaoh who was alive, you know, he was on their side. He was for them because of Joseph. Uh, when Joseph died and when that Pharaoh died, the next Pharaoh was not a believer in, in Jehovah God. He was worried about the children of Israel, about them multiplying and possibly taking over uh, the land of Egypt. And God raises up Moses. He tells him, hey, I want you to go into Pharaoh. I want you to tell him, let my children go so that they can serve me. Of course, Pharaoh hardened his heart. This, this happens over and over. But we get to Exodus chapter 12, and this is where um, in the previous chapter at the end, Moses goes to Pharaoh for this last time. Pharaoh hardens his heart, will not let the children go. So let's go to Exodus chapter 12. I want you to go down to verse 3. It says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You should take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So if you're paying attention, in order for Israel to escape God's judgment from Pharaoh and Egypt, which, by the way, I know you've heard it a million times here, but if you, if you haven't been here or you're watching for the first time online, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, you see that Egypt is always a picture of the world, its evil system. Uh, Pharaoh is always a picture of the devil or the Antichrist. And you saw that the devil and the Antichrist, Pharaoh, is persecuting, e is persecuting Israel, and God wants to deliver them out of Egypt. And he does it by the blood of a lamb, a male lamb without spot or blemish. And his blood was to be sprinkled on the door of the homes in which the people dwelt. And it's called the Passover because at that appointed night, the Lord passed over the land of Egypt. And their only way of escape or salvation from God's judgment was by the blood of a lamb. That should sound eerily similar to you 
um, if you're paying attention. You know, you and I, if we're born again today, if you're saved, you've been saved, it only happened by the blood of the Lamb of God. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So in the Passover you see uh, both a literal salvation for the nation of Israel, but you see a foreshadowing of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ for us when he delivered us by his blood on the cross. And it's only through that when God looks at you and me, he's looking for that blood. And when he sees that blood, he can pass over us. And we won't face the judgment of this world and the, and the judgment on the devil. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Purge out therefore the old leaven. And leaven in your Bible is always a picture of sin. That ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And so the nation of Israel was to come to Jerusalem and, and observe the Passover. But why? And the reason why, the yearly Passover was a memorial. That's your next blank there. In Exodus 12, 14, it says, This day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it by a feast, for, by an ordinance forever. You know, the Lord does a lot for us, but just like Israel, we're stubborn, we're pig-headed, we're sinful, uh, we're ungrateful, and we tend to forget And, you know, we forget all the blessings he's provided for us, and we especially forget sometimes, you know, the things he's done for us through, through salvation, by the death and burial and resurrection. You know, he wanted Israel to remember what he did for them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, and that is why he asked them to do the Passover every year. But, you know, for us, and we just did this last week, I think it's interesting, God has also given us a memorial, and that's observing the Lord's Supper. And that's your next blank there. You know, 1 Corinthians 11, 24, 26 says, And when this is speaking to Jesus, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So, The Lord, just like Israel, he wants you and I to remember what he's done for us. Um, But you know what? He desires you be at his house with other believers in Christ in unity together. It would be weird if you're bedridden, I can understand, taking the Lord's Supper by yourself. But that's really something special and sweet when you do it together in community with other believers in Christ. But again, that requires that you would have to be here, right? And that's the main thing. So next, let's see. So the king gave him a request, and now we move on. He gave him requirements. Verse 3 says, it's interesting, for they could not keep, keep it at that time, the Passover, because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, so the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, and according to the commandment of the king, saying, ye children of Israel... Turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Verse 8, now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord. So you see, 
The kings asked him to come to the house of the Lord, but the Passover couldn't be held. Why? One, everyone wasn't there. But two, I thought this was really interesting. The priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. So what was the remedy? Repentance. And that was in verse 6 again. He says, Return to him, and he will return to the remnant of you. You know, he tells him to turn again to the Lord. And, you know, the first act of reconciliation between any believer and the Lord, when there's a problem, it begins with repentance. And repentance is just a change of mind uh, that results in a change of action. You know, I see what God says. I see what I'm doing. I turn for what I'm doing, and I turn to what God says. Um, I agree with God about my condition, and I act accordingly. Psalm 119.59 says, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Um, you know, even when the apostle Paul was in prison in Caesarea and testifying before King Agrippa, his testimony was he had showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Zechariah 1.3, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn again unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. So you see this thing about repentance. Uh, you know, it's a good thing uh, when you know what God's asked you to do, but then the next thing you got to do is decide if you want to do it. And if you're not doing it, all you need to do is repent. And as you, as you grow in the Lord, and I know over my, I've been saved now, 20-some-odd years, almost 25, I think 25 this year. Um, there's been many times God's spoken to me about things, things I knew better, things maybe I didn't know, but when the Lord spoke, it was time to repent. So the next requirement we see is sanctification. In verse 3, it says that the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. And again, this was very curious to me when I was reading this because I'm thinking, okay, the priests are the main people who make sure that the Passover happens. You know, the God had ordained the priests to act as the mediators between the people and himself. They would teach the people the law, and they would offer sacrifices for the people to the Lord for sin. So we see the people with the most pivotal role in conducting the Passover being the ones unclean, being the ones unprepared, being the ones not sanctified. And, you know, when you think about it, sadly today this mirrors many of us who are mediators between the lost and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know there's only one true mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. But in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul just says, does say, you and I are ambassadors. And all an ambassador is is a representative. And it's silly that a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ would be unclean, unprepared, not sanctified, unrepentant. But that's where these priests were. And sadly, a lot of times, that's where we are in our lives. And if you, when it comes to the priests, if you didn't know, God compares you and I, even this day, to priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Revelation, when John opens the book, in verse 5, he says, Unto him that loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, verse 6, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So Israel had a problem with their priests not being ready, not sanctified, not at the house of the Lord. You would think your main job 
you would fulfill that. Uh, we all have jobs to do, a lot of you who work. Uh, it would be very odd to not show up for your job, but then it would be really odd for you to show up to your job and not be prepared. But sadly, that's where a lot of us today are in the church. Uh, you know, when we don't yield to the Spirit of God and allow God to, to move through us, uh, we leave ourselves in a, in a bad place. And brothers, brothers and sisters, sanctification is just a living in a holy and acceptable way that makes the Spirit of God be able to work in and through you and lead you to be everything that God wants you to be, fit for his use. And that's what sanctification is. It's just being set apart. And God can't set you apart if you're not prepared. He can't set you apart if you're not clean. He can't set you apart if you're unrepentant. He can't set you apart for his use if you're not even willing to come to his house. He can't use you. And you see in your next blank, it says themselves. Exodus 19, 22. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Brother Cody said this last week. You know, sometimes I think we, we sit around and wait for God to fix us. Now, I'm not, you know, stupid. I know that, that in me there's, there's nothing good, and I can do nothing of any worth without the Lord. But God tells us to cleanse, cleanse ourselves. He told them, these priests to cleanse themselves. And us as a church, we need to clean ourselves. And you and I, when we're, we're at home by ourselves and the, in the recesses of our mind, we know those things that are unpleasing to the Lord. We know those things that he may be calling us to repent of, to let go of, the things that are keeping us from being sanctified. And you know what? The remedy is just to cleanse yourself. Don't wait on the Lord to do it. That's not going to happen that way. Ephesians 5, 24 through 27 in verse 26 in particular, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And that's the Lord Jesus sanctifying and cleansing us with his word. But you know what? You got to get in it if you're going to cleanse yourself. The word of God will clean you, but it doesn't work by osmosis. You got to get in it. You got to read it. You got to listen to it. Again, that's why it's important for you to be in the house of God. So you can have brothers and sisters who know the scriptures, who can teach you who can guide you. And I guess that's where comes my, uh, my discipleship plug. You know, here at this church, if you're a member of this church or if you be coming to this church for any manner of time, you know, we take you through a biblical process here of discipleship. And through that process, you go lesson by lesson and we show you how God expects for you to live, how he expects you to conduct yourself. It deals with every area of life so that you and I can be sanctified a sanctified priest, an ambassador to this lost world. But you know what? You have to want to do that for yourself. You have to cleanse yourself. People can take you through lessons, but if you don't do it, you don't cleanse yourself. So not only did the priests need to be repentant and sanctified, they had to be partakers in service. Verse 8, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord, and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God. So you see this thing about service. And again, you know, when you came here this morning, you saw there was donuts, precious coffee. There are people who greeted you at the door. There are people, if you have kids, there are people right now who are teaching and watching over your kids. There's lots of moving parts. We've got audio, visual. It doesn't happen if people aren't willing to serve. Um, I wasn't here years ago when Brother Jay did the, 
the Sunday without people to serve. I heard it was pretty interesting. But if you came that Sunday, uh, you didn't have donuts, you didn't have coffee, you didn't have notes, you didn't have anything. But you know, sadly, a lot of times, that's, that's the way so many believers in Christ present themselves, or don't present themselves, rather. They'd rather let somebody else serve. But God wants us to serve. You know, in John 12, 26, it says, If any man serve me, this is Jesus talking, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So if you're going to follow Jesus, I mean, he said it, it requires that you serve him. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And this is Paul talking about the testimony of the Thessalonians that he'd won to Christ. He says, how that ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And it's interesting there because it says you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. So everyone is serving something this morning. Uh, Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a relationship. But you're serving something. But if you're going to follow Jesus, he's asking you to serve him. And the other principle, God desires personal worship and fellowship with his people. You know, that first principle was he wanted corporate fellowship and worship. But you know what? It's good to show up, but you don't want to show up and not be prepared. You don't want to show up and not be sanctified and repentant. He's also interested in your personal relationship with him. So verse 3, now we see the response. And first we see the wrong way. Verse 10 in 2 Chronicles, it says, So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. And that's, that's interesting. You know, you really expect the lost world to, to laugh and to scorn and to mock you. But it's bad when the people of God, people who are supposed to be the people of God, who call themselves the people of God, laugh and they mock. And you say, you know, surely that that doesn't happen in church world, right? I don't know how long you've been in church world. (laughs) But I've come across those people. I've been that person. And, you know, it's all because I have a a relationship with God that's not where it needs to be. It's because I'm not sanctified. It's because my heart's not where it needs to be. I'm unrepentant. And brother and sister, if that's where you are this morning, I just want you to know, if you're unrepentant, if you're not sanctified, even though you may not say things aloud, uh, even though you may not think you're doing things that would adversely affect the church, you are effectively laughing and mocking the Lord. Because the Lord's called us to be here. He's called us to be here in unity. He's called us to serve him. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Jude 1, 17 and 18. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. God help us not to be mockers. Uh, You know, I'm nobody this morning. I know I'm talking a little fast. I'm stumbling a little bit. But I want you to know, hey, when you sit under the word of God, God wants you to do something with it. And the last thing you want to do is laugh or mock at it. Believe me. Now let's look at the right way, the other response. Verses 11 says, Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So you see the reaction of some of the people was to humble themselves. They humbled themselves and they came. 
Verse 15, then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. You see, the result of humbling yourself will be obedience. This was true for those priests. This will be true for you and me. And I'm going to tell you, it's always best if you humble yourself and not make God humble you. I've learned that over and over a hard time many times. You've heard this verse before, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Romans 6 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of a sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So you have a people who received a commandment from a king that they should come. Some mocked and laughed, and some humbled and obeyed. And you know what? There's no difference today because man is still the same. And then we see the last one. We titled this one, The No Way. And the reason I said no way, because in verse 13, if you see, it says, and there assembled at Jerusalem much people, but it didn't say all the people. And who did he ask to come to Jerusalem? All. And, right, you know, in church world, we had this too. So maybe you're not uh, all out against God. Maybe you're not all in for him. Maybe you just don't do anything. Maybe you just don't say anything. But you know what? When you don't respond, that's also the wrong way. You're also saying, I'm not with you, Lord. And the principle is God's word always demands a response. Um, Anytime you sit under the preaching and teaching of the word of God, regardless of who it is, regardless of what you think of that person, and you may think I'm an idiot right now, I want you to know, the Lord wants you to know that his word always demands a response. It could be yes, Lord. It could be no, Lord. It could be not saying anything, which, again, is no, Lord, but it demands a response. And finally, we see the result. Let's see the effect of God's people coming together in unity with personal sanctification and obedience being central. And first, we see the effect on believers. Verse 21, you have praise. And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day. You know, there's something about praise. And we just did a little praise and worship a minute ago. And, you know, just from my standpoint, sometimes of being able to sing on stage, uh, leading the church in praise and worship, it's awesome to look out and see the people who are praising the Lord. And I guess you could say they're singing. And singing and praise are two different things. But there's something about us giving God admiration with our lips. And it's always curious to me when I can see a room of people who are doing so and then some who are not. He's worthy of our, of our admiration. Hebrews 13, 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. You know, you ought to have a reason to praise him this morning. Um, if you're just alive right now, if you can hear my voice right now, you have something to praise God about. Not me, but the fact that you can, you can hear. The fact that you can see. The fact that he woke you up this morning he allowed you to come here. Um, he's good to us. These people who, who got right with God, those who followed the king's commandment by letter 
to show up to Jerusalem at the house of God, God was able to do a work. And what happened was out of the hearts of those people came praise. And that should be the same for us. Second, what you see is singing. Again, in verse 21, the latter part says, And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. And he's worthy of singing to guys. Um, you know, the funny thing is, when you're right with the Lord, even when things are hard and you want to give up and things aren't going the way you think they ought to, there's been many a time in my life when I'm right with the Lord, the one thing I want to do is just sing to him. And again, it's curious when you see people who can't sing to him, people who claim they know the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved them from a devil's hell, and they can't sing to him. Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If the Lord's done something for you this morning, you ought to be able to do that. You ought to be able to sing for him, sing to him. The next thing you see is a result of their obedience, humbling in themselves repenting, sanctify themselves, is teaching. Verse 22, And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord, and that did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings. You know, it says Hezekiah spake comfortably unto the Levites that taught the word of God. How, how do we, we respond? What's our attitude when the word of God is spoken to us? Uh, when you show up on a Sunday morning, or you show up to a small group, and someone who's taking time, and again, I'm not talking about me, someone who's taking time to search the scriptures, who's prayed, who's asked God to give you a word, how do you respond to that? Do you see it as good knowledge of the Lord? You know, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and munching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, when the people of God are in tune with God, the word of God it's magnified. I don't know about you, that's where I want to be. When I come on Sunday morning, whoever's standing up here to preach, I want to listen, I want to hear, because I want the Word of God to dwell richly in me. I want to hear what God has to say to me. Next, you see giving. Verse 24, For Hezekiah, king of Judah, did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep. And the princes gave to the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep. And a great number of the priests sanctified themselves. So here we see the king and certain of the people gladly given of their substance in service and worship to the Lord. And it's interesting here, I just thought this was a, a pretty cool picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the king provided for the needs of the people when they gathered together in worship. It says that he gave them a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep. And you know, an, an obedient people are given people. It's just a natural thing that comes from you when you walk in the Spirit of God. You know, Luke 6, Jesus says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You know, you can give of lots of things. Certainly, God wants us to give of our tithes and offerings so that we can keep the church going, so that we can support worldwide missions, so that we can do all the things it takes to try to reach the lost. But you can also give of your time. You can give of your talent. Um, it's not just the, the substance. Sometimes it's just the giving of yourself. And Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So now let's see. The next thing is rejoicing. And I saw seven things, which I thought was pretty cool, because 
If you're a student of the Bible, seven is the number of perfection. So the next thing we see is rejoicing. Verse 25, And all the congregation of Judah, with the priests and the Levites, and all the congregation that came out of Israel, and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel, and that dwelt in Judah, rejoiced. You have anything to rejoice about this morning? You know, sometimes I think people say amen to you because they don't want to, you know, be quiet. But you know what? If you're saved this morning, you absolutely have something to rejoice about. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And I can always rejoice in him. Because in August of 1997, the Lord tapped me on the heart, spoke to me about my sin. And I got it right with him. He changed my life. If you're sitting here this morning, you can't rejoice in that. Something's wrong. In Romans 12, and Paul's describing reasonable Christian living, he says that we should rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continue in instant in prayer. You know, you can rejoice even when things aren't going, going well. There's always something you can rejoice in the Lord about, always. The next thing we see is blessings, and I promise you I'm winding it down here. I know I can see the looks on some of your faces. Some of you are ready to get to your nearest buffet, I can tell. So blessings. Verse 27. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people. You know, when you're present and obedient to God, you're able to be blessed by others. It says the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people. But you know what? You also have the opportunity to be blessed by others. You can be a blessing and you can be blessed. You know, Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And let's be honest, where we live here in Huntsville, Alabama, and I mean, if you're, if you're an American, you live in a first world country, you are blessed. You are blessed physically, certainly, but you're also blessed spiritually if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He provides for us while we're here on this wicked world. Um, I don't think any of us are missing meals, me especially. Um, he provides for our needs. But not only that, he gives us the spiritual tools we need. We have the Holy Spirit of God to lead us and guide us. Um, we have fellow brothers and sisters we can cast our burdens on. He gives us so much. Truly, we are blessed. And then you see prayer. Verse 27, then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people. And their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. And that's like the last verse of the, of the passage. But it's interesting that the prayer didn't come up to God before his holy dwelling place, even into heaven, until everyone first left what they were doing, came to Jerusalem to the house of God, sanctified themselves, were willing to serve, were willing to do whatever God asked them to do. That's when their prayer was heard. And so many times, sometimes we wonder, how come our prayers aren't being heard? Well, I'm asking you this morning, what are you doing? Where are you at? You know, a right response to the Lord will always produce the right results every time. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Colossians 4, 2, Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving. You know, 
Prayer is really where it is. That's where the power comes from. That's where the, you know, God brings things to your memory. That's where anything that's going to happen, happens. If we're going to get anything done, if God's going to work through us, it's going to be because of a result of prayer. Lastly, we see the effect on strangers or non-believers. In 2 Chronicles 30.25, it says, and I thought this was interesting, and all the congregation of Judah, with the priests and the Levites, and all the congregation that came out of Israel, and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel, and that dwelt in Judah, rejoiced. So here you see this thing of the stranger. And if you don't know what that means, if, you know, this is the first time you've heard that term used in the Bible. In the Old Testament, a stranger was anyone who was not a part of the lineage of Israel. And so they were not under God's promises. They didn't have an inheritance. They didn't have any of the blessings or anything that God promised the nation of Israel. But you see a curious thing. When the nation of Israel got right with God, it had an effect on the strangers. You know, for you and I today as a part of the body of Christ, a stranger would be a lost person. Because they are outside of the body of Christ. They're not under the provision and the blessing of the Lord. They don't have an inheritance in his kingdom. But like you see with Israel here, you and I have an opportunity. What we do affects others. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. So what you do, how you live really matters. People are watching. I tell you, if you go on your job and you mention the name of Jesus, people will definitely start watching you. Are we letting our light shine? Are we having an effect on the strangers around us? Because there's many strangers around us, lost people dying and going to hell. Are we sharing the word of God? Are we being a light to them? And it's really convicting. 1 Corinthians 15.34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And Paul wrote that to believers. And God left that in the scripture for us to read today. You know, the way you live, the way you conduct yourself has an effect on the people around you. Are the strangers going to see the way you live? Are they going to see your God as a big God? Do they see your God is real? Your God is answering prayer. Your God is able to move mountains. Your God is able to heal. Your God is able to do and be everything you need him to be. Or do they see a religious person? Or do they not even know that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? I think God would have us to wait to that righteousness. So in conclusion, we'll read verse 26 and 27 here. And some of you are saying, hallelujah. You were not supposed to laugh at that. It says, and so there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Then the priests and Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. And you know, if you were paying attention, all the main points here were brought to you by the letter R, because you know that's what preachers do. And I was thinking, you know, how do I wrap this up, Lord? And for whatever reason, he brought to me Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And in closing, I just want to say it's just reasonable. It's reasonable, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you come to his house on a regular basis, at the time appointed. If not here, you need to find somewhere to be, because your king has commanded you to do so. 
It's reasonable you be in unity with your brothers and your sisters in Christ. It's reasonable that in your personal walk with the Lord, that you be repentant, that you be sanctified. It's reasonable that you serve. You know, really, it's just reasonable with those seven attributes that you sing, that you praise, that you give. It's just reasonable. I don't know where you are this morning. I hope the Lord's spoken to you. I know I, how I get and moving really fast and giving you a lot of scripture probably. But this passage really spoke to me, and I pray that the Lord spoke to you this morning. Thank you. All right. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you again for this day.